Welcome to She Persisted. I'm your host, Sadie Sutton. Every Friday, I post interviews about mental health, dialectical behavioral therapy, and teenage life. These episodes break down my mental health journey, teach skills to help you cope with life, and showcase testimonials from individuals, including teens just like you. Whether you've struggled yourself or just want to improve your mental fitness, this podcast is your inspiration to live a life you love and keep persisting. This week on She Persisted. And I remember in that moment, I'll never forget this, like everything came to a head for me. Like all the the bad choices, all the bad decisions, all my circumstances, like everything. I was like, because I was wondering, like, how did this kid who just wanted to be loved, how did this kid who just wanted a relationship with a girl, how did this kid who just wanted to be good at sports, like how did this kid who just wanted these simple things and basic human needs in life, like how is he now in the back of a cop car facing felony drug charges? And a lot of it came down to my own choices and my own behaviors, which is why I'm such a an advocate now for really being careful of the habits and choices that you make on a, on a daily basis, especially when you're faced with hard circumstances where it's a lot easier to fall into that trap of addiction, substance use, that sort of thing. This week's DBT scale is the STOP scale. STOP is an acronym that stands for Stop, Take a Step Back, Observe, and Proceed Mindfully. It's from the distress tolerance module, so that means we're using this skill when we're in crisis mode, when we're really struggling, and you need to survive and get through the moment. So, we're starting by stopping. Physically, mentally, you're not reacting, you're freezing, and while your emotions are have, giving you those urges to act without thinking, you are staying in control. The next thing you're going to do is take a step back from the situation. You are taking a break, you're letting go, you're taking a deep breath. If possible, you're physically removing yourself from the situation and then re-entering it later, which we'll talk about. Sometimes that's not possible, so you're mentally taking a step back, and you're not letting your feelings make you act impulsively. Observe. You are noticing what's going on inside you and outside you. What's the situation like? What are your thoughts and feelings? What are others saying or doing? And lastly, you're going to proceed mindfully. You're going to act with awareness in deciding what to do. You're considering your thoughts, your feelings, the situation, and other people's thoughts and feelings. You're thinking about your goals, and you're asking your wise mind which actions will make it better or worse. So this is a skill when you use when you're in crisis mode. It's great for when you're having a conflict with another person. If you're struggling with anxiety, anger, all of these things, this is the perfect skill to use. And the key here is proceeding mindfully, getting back to the situation and not just continually avoiding. So that P is crucial. So without further ado, let's dive into the episode. Hello, hello, and happy Monday. Welcome back to She Persisted. If you are new here, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Make sure that you send me a DM on Instagram to say hi, introduce yourself. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. I can't wait for you to hear this week's episode. This is so weird. I just recorded the intro to last week's episode and now I'm like immediately recording this week's episode's intro. It feels a little weird for sure. Like normally I am so last minute with all the podcast stuff. Obviously I'll do interviews in advance, but when it comes to like editing and intros, like that's like the day or two before episodes go up. But we're trying to be more effective and plan in advance so we can relax this week on break. So hopefully next week by the time you're listening to this episode and I've gotten back to college I had a restful relaxing Thanksgiving that was stress-free and I hope you had the same experience we'll see we'll update 
Anyways, this week's episode is an amazing interview with Doug Bobst. He is the host of the Adversity Advantage podcast, which I will, of course, link in today's show notes. He has an amazing story about how he went from a felon to being a fitness coach and just went through an extreme season of personal growth, took the insights he had and shared them with other people. So we'll dive into his story. He's the author of three books, which will also be linked in today's show notes. And I just can't wait for you to dive into this episode because it's so inspirational. There are so many tactile tips and tricks that you can implement in your life. And it's just an amazing reminder that no matter where you're currently at in your journey, you have so much potential and so much power to change your life. So I hope you love this interview as much as I did. And if you want to connect with Doug, you can follow him on Instagram at D-O-U-G-B-O-P-S-T at Doug Bobst. And of course, that will be linked in today's show notes as well as his podcast. So without further ado, let's dive into it. Thank you so much for joining me today on G Persisted. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me and for the kind words. And anytime I can have any, anytime I have an opportunity to to share some wisdom or parts of my journey to help other people, I'm totally down for. So thank you. Of course, of course. So I want to start setting a foundation and hearing your story so listeners kind of know who they're getting advice and input from. And you have an amazing journey. So I'd love to hear that. So walk me through from the beginning to where you are now with doing tons of mental health advocacy work, having a podcast, all of that. Yeah. So Sadie, it's funny, like, you know, before we recorded, you were talking about my podcast and my show is called The Adversity Advantage, where I interview people from all walks of life on how they've taken something painful in their life in many cases and turned it into something magical. And I'm a trainer. I've been a trainer for almost 11 years. I've done a lot of speaking. I've written some books and doing a lot of advocacy work now for things like mental health, addiction, that sort of thing. But it wasn't long ago that my my life was in complete despair. You know, I was incarcerated on felony drug charges back in 2008. And at that time, I was suicidal. I was heavily addicted to opiates. I had no hope in my life. I didn't think I was going to see my 25th birthday. I had no self-confidence. I was 50 pounds overweight. Like everything about me was broken. I was broken physically, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. And growing up, I used adversity to my complete disadvantage and as i look back and like wonder like what led to me becoming incarcerated it was just it was really just my inability to deal with my insecurities pain trauma in a way that's healthy which is why i'm so passionate about that subject today and some of my insecurities and painful moments were my parents got divorced when i was five i never had a girlfriend in school i loved sports, but I was the worst athlete. Like I never got picked for certain teams and I was bullied. I went through all kinds of abuse. And eventually I I looked for the first way possible to numb that pain. And originally it came in the form of food. As I look back, I ate, you know, very unhealthily growing up cinnamon buns and, you know, breakfast sausage a lot for breakfast, pop tart, cereal, tons of pasta, fast food, you name it. And honestly, what was hard about that is, is, is I wasn't really eating much different than my friends. Like that's just kind of, I think what kids do is they, they hang out and they, they get some fast food or they order some pizzas or you'll spend the night and have a sleepover. And the next day you'll have like a, you know, a high sugar breakfast. But 
I think I just did it a little more in excess and my genetics at the time just didn't serve me because I started to gain weight at a young age. And so now I'm wearing Husky clothes when I'm, you know, barely a teenager, not even. And now it's another layer of insecurities and what's wrong with me or why this, why that? And, and tons of uncertainty and fear in my life. And what became my biggest opportunity to numb all this pain was pot. And when I was 14, now, mind you, I, I always like to preface this, especially now, because pot is legal in so many areas mm-hmm. that it's not that I was smoking it. It was why I was smoking it that that really mattered. And mm-hmm. it, I never thought in a million years that my first hit off a marijuana pipe would lead me into being incarcerated. Like, nobody does. Like if, if that was like, like the consequence that was guaranteed, I think you'd see no a lot less people. Yeah. yeah. And. I took my first hit off a marijuana pipe when I was 14 and I felt this massive monkey come off my back. Like I didn't have to worry about my anxiety didn't have to worry about, you know, being the, the chubby kid and have to worry about not having a girlfriend. I have to worry about all those insecurities I talked to you about a minute ago. I ne- didn't have to worry about because now I was just numb and I was like, wow, like this is awesome. I feel at peace. And so now I had to keep chasing that feeling, right? Because I didn't want to deal with the stuff. And also like as a kid, like you, you're really like, there's a lot of talk about mental health now and I'm definitely for that. But as a kid, like you're unaware of a lot of that stuff and how it's really impacting you because you're just totally. so focused on like living and, and you're in school and you, you, you have like certain friend groups and you're not, you're not thinking about that stuff. And I started to smoke every day and it started to create tension in my household because we my parents had split custody so we would go to my mom's house half the time my dad's house half the time and on my 16th birthday after a a couple bad decisions on my end i was i was kicked out of my my mom's house for getting busted with a little bit of pot and i think that she thought in that moment that her kicking me out was like the best thing for me because she's like okay i'm gonna kick him out he's gonna go live with his dad full time he's gonna change schools he'll hopefully find new friends and stop using but that just created more baggage in my life created more trauma more insecurities more like what's wrong with me why doesn't my mom love me like why you lost that support system as well yeah and so i go to this completely different high school the next day i changed schools and continued on the path kept smoking more pot kept doing what i needed to to fit in met a new group of friends and, and barely graduated high school because all my friends and I would do was ride around, skip class, smoke pot. And that was like the lifestyle back then. And shortly after I graduated high school, I started to like, once I've, once I've realized that I wasn't going to go to school, like go to a four year university, like a lot of my friends did, I was like, all right, well I can go to community college, but I'm also going to start selling pot to make money. Because the other addiction that I had that I took me a while to realize was this. Now I had this addiction to being wanted and needed because I had started to, as a teenager, smoke, you know, sell a little bit of pot to support my habit. But now I was selling it to actually make money. And my phone was ringing off the hook. Like people needed me yeah. because of, because I was the kid who never got picked for the teams or didn't have a girlfriend. Like I really didn't have this sense of of being wanted. This was like a a new addictive feeling for me. And as you start to sell more drugs, you start to meet other people who are doing other drugs. So I got introduced to cocaine at a very young age. I was like 17, 18, started doing Coke. And then, you know, one line of Coke turned into me doing an eight ball of Coke a day. And the problem was 
like a kid with as much anxiety and fear that I had at that time, like doing that much Coke in a day or doing any Coke in a day. Yeah, it just go that goes about as well together. It goes about as well together as someone who's trying to lose weight and eat pizza every day. It's just not going to serve mm-hmm. them in the long term. And eventually that all came to a head and I started to develop massive panic attacks, which back in 2000, I call it 2005, 2006, something like that. Nobody was talking about mental health, nor I had no idea what a panic attack was. So I couldn't, there was a time where I couldn't get high anymore without having this massive anxiety attack. I was in the hospital multiple times, as a matter of fact, because I thought I was dying. And you would think at that point, after you know seeing all my friends, some friends of mine go to college, seeing the fact that I'm now selling drugs and I'm now doing coke and I'm having all these these mental health issues, that it would actually force me to say, okay, like maybe it's time to actually deal with your stuff. Maybe it's time to change your friends. Maybe it's time to change your habits. But that was too hard for me because that I think a lot of people when they hit that point in their life, Sadie, where their self-esteem is shattered or they just don't have the self-confidence or they don't have the ability to think for themselves because they have created their own identity based on the identity of other people because they haven't been able to stand true in what they are. I think when you're in that that situation, the the idea of changing friend groups and doing something different seems very insurmountable. And that's what it was it's also like very comfortable. It's like you now know this this environment, the situation, however toxic or negative it may be. It's it's your comfort place. And if you leave that, it might get worse before it gets better. So I remember the exact same thing when I was suicidally depressed. I was like, yes, this is the worst I've ever felt. But if I try and change anything, it might be worse before anything changes. Right. And so I, I continued to hang out with the same people and, and run around the same crowd and, and do the same things I had been doing before, even though it was causing, you know, massive despair in my, my current life. And eventually, like what really did me in was a, a five milligram Percocet I could offer to me by one of my friends. And the same feeling that I got when I took that first hit off the marijuana pipe was the same feeling I got when I took the five milligram Percocet. And, and the crazy thing is, is that I... I didn't realize how addicting painkillers were. Now, I, I didn't think it's not like I, I didn't think that it was me putting spinach in my system or anything. I knew that what I was doing was bad. Like anytime I, I was snorting a pill, I was like, this can't be good. Right. Yeah. But I didn't realize how fast that addiction can develop. And over a span of, I don't know, like, I don't know if it was weeks or months, but very short amount of time. Five milligrams turned into 10 a day, turned into 20, turned into 40, all the way up until I'm doing three, 400 milligrams every single day just to support my habit. And my life started to fall apart very quickly, you know, and and this came in the form of my, my current relationships. I had friends that, you know, I had my, a group of friends that I would do all these drugs with that maybe weren't the best influence on me, but I also had other friends that like weren't doing drugs that they were like worried about me or like, can you please stop? Like, you're such a good kid. Like, why do you, why are you doing this? And I don't think, I don't think it's funny when I wrote my first book, people who I went to school with messaged me and they're like, I honestly didn't realize like how bad you felt about yourself. Like I didn't know any of this because I was so ashamed of how poor I, I thought of myself mm-hmm. that they didn't really. It also just gets normalized. Like there's no relation to what other people are thinking that you're like, wow, this is really low self-esteem. You're like, this is just my internal monologue. This is just the norm. Right. And I think, you know, I always say that, 
our environment can create a, a false sense of normalcy in that totally if you're surrounding yourself with people that are doing drugs all the time or they're pessimistic or they're partying i mean you can just fill in the blank like you're going to think that's normal whereas mm -hmm. if you're hanging around people on the other end of the spectrum right that are challenging themselves to be better they're making healthy choices so on and so forth like that's going to be normal and you're not going to tolerate like anything, anything different yeah anything differently yeah. right and and eventually everything came to a head on Cinco de Mayo of 2008 and by this point I was selling tons of pot like pounds a week mm -hmm. and I was riding around with a few of my friends to go make a drug deal had a half a pound of pot in my trunk, a couple thousand dollars in cash in the glove box. And I guess I didn't realize that Cinco de Mayo is one of the biggest drinking holidays of the year. So there's police officers running radar all over the place. Mm -hmm. And I had a busted headlight that I had been meaning to fix for quite a long time. But the thing is, like once you're in that in the thick of addiction, all you care about is when you're getting high, who you're doing it with, what song are you going to listen to? What are you going to eat after? Like, like it's insane that it becomes like a religion when you're in the thick of addiction, yeah. that everything revolves around that one thing. And there was a cop running radar. And so I thought it would be a brilliant idea to flash my high beams at him. I was like, Oh, I'll flash my high beams at him. and think he just won't see my busted headlight. Mm -hmm. And it gave him a reason to pull me over because I flashed my high beams at him. And that's like, yeah. that's like the signal to like, let somebody know there's a cop coming. Right. Mm-hmm. I get, I get pulled over and as soon as I get pulled over my heart just sank in the pit of my stomach because I just knew I knew it was over like I knew mm -hmm. at that moment my life was over I really thought it was all said and done and pulls me over I I stammer to hand in my my license and registration one thing leads to the next he pulls me out of the car and ends up searching it and finds the half a pound of pot and the two thousand dollars in cash in the car I'm in handcuffs in the back of the cop car and I remember in that moment I'll never forget this like everything came to a head for me like all the the bad choices all the bad decisions all my circumstances like everything I was like because I was wondering like how did this kid who just wanted to be loved how did this kid who just wanted a relationship with a girl how did this kid who just want to be good at sports like how did this kid who just wanted these simple things and basic human needs in life like how is he now in the back of a cop car facing felony drug charges. And a lot of it came down to my own choices and my own behaviors, which is why I'm such a an advocate now for really being careful of the habits and choices that you make on a, on a daily basis, especially when you're faced with hard circumstances where it's a lot easier to fall into that trap of addiction, substance use, that sort of thing. And I was booked, taken to jail, and charged with the felony, intent to distribute, possession with intent to distribute marijuana. Went to court a few months later. And at the time, I thought the judge threw the book at me, but it ended up becoming a big blessing for me because he sentenced me. Well, first, he found me guilty. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, I had every reason to be guilty. I got caught with money, the scale, the drugs, everything else. And so he sentenced me to five years. He sentenced me to five years. Everything's suspended but 90 days, meaning if I, I do the 90 days and if I messed up, I would have to go back and do the full five-year sentence. Gave me five years probation, mm -hmm. 200 hours community service, all kinds of fines and drug classes. But he's like, Doug, I'm going to make you a deal. And I'm like, deal? I'm like, after what you just told me, like, <laughs> like, what's the deal? 
He's like, if you complete everything without messing up, no misprobation appointments, no failed drug tests, you do your community service, you do everything. I'll take the felony conviction off your record at the end of your five years of probation. And, and at that time, like I was 20 and I didn't think I was gonna live to see 25. I had already buried several of my friends. I was like, well, isn't the world supposed to end in 2012? Like I was like, there's no way I'm going to make it <laughs> through the end of this time period. Mm-hmm. And I just said, okay, like whatever. Like I knew I was going to get high when I left court anyway. So it just, I was like, all right, well, whatever. We'll see what we can do. And I ended up reporting to jail a few weeks later, which ironically was a week after my 21st birthday. And the craziest thing about this whole story is this, is that I cried when I went to jail because I didn't want to go in. And when I left, I cried because I didn't want to leave. And here's what happened. So when I get to jail and I report getting ready to walk into the gates of the detention center, I had every fear you can imagine, like every stigmatized fear or everything Mm -hmm. that people think about when it comes to jail, like was definitely going through my mind, especially being the kid who was unathletic, unconfident, you know, uncoordinated, like you name it, like Mm -hmm. fearful, like always ran away from fights. Like, it was going through my head, right? And I had so much anger, so much resentment, so much guilt, so much sadness, like all the emotions were going through me. Plus, I had this horrific opioid addiction to kick because I still had this crippling addiction to Oxycontin. And I went through the gates, reported to jail. And the first thing I had to do was detox. And so I detoxed cold turkey from the opiates, which... It felt like the worst having the worst case of the flu for like two to three weeks straight, like everything uncontrollable, brutal yeah. bowel movements, vomiting, you're shaking, anxiety, depression, sleepless nights, pain. But the hardest thing for me was this feeling of like you're trying to crawl out of your own skin. And as I look mm-hmm. back, I think it was the old me trying to leave so that the new me could become new and whole. And my soon-to-be cellmate was sitting there playing Scrabble at one of the tables, and he looked like a more jacked version of Brad Pitt from Fight Club. <laughs> and he was like, "He's like, you're gonna start working out with me when you get through your detox." And I'm like, uh, "No way!" Like, have, have you yeah, seen thank me? Thank you. I'm like, I could have been a model for Pillsbury at the time. There's no way that this is happening. <laughs> and he's like, "All right, man," because he could just tell that there was something off with me. That my shoulders were rounded forward. I spoke very softly. I just came across as very unconfident because I was. And shortly after, I, I saw him working out, and he was doing thousands of push-ups, hundreds of pull-ups, running all these laps in the gym. I'm like, who is this guy? Like hours of working out. I'm like, this guy's a freaking machine. Mm-hmm. And we got to talking, and we started to develop more of a relationship, like a friendship, if you will. And he just kept asking me questions. He was like, well, why are you here? Like, what happened? And as I started to unpack more of my story, I just was telling him like all the bad things that happened to me. I said, Oh, my parents got divorced. Like girls rejected me. I got cut from these teams. I was bullied and da da da. And what he said to me was the last thing I expected him to say, because I think in these moments when you're opening up like that, we want to be coddled, which Mm -hmm. I think there's a time and place for that. But I think, I think it's just a lazy inevitable. Like I think sometimes we just need like that silver bullet, like that cold hard truth right there of like what's real. And and especially from somebody who had had no skin, he had no real skin in the game. So it wasn't like, you know, he had to worry about like me being like, well, I'm never talking to you again. Like, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he was like, like, I'm doing you a favor. I'm being your free trainer. (laughs) Yeah, He was like, 
quit being a wuss. Like that's the PG version of what he said. You can fill in the blank of what you think really said, but for what you think he really said, he said, you know, quit being a wuss. And I just looked at him perplexed. I said, what, what do you mean? And I was like, how dare you, you know, take away mm-hmm. me, take, t- try to take me out of my, the victim mentality. He was like, you're blaming everybody for your problems, but yourself. He was like, there's plenty of people that go through the situations or experience things that you did that aren't in jail. He's like, am I right? And I'm like, yep. Like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> and he was like, you got yourself here. He's like, it's on you to get yourself out of this this hole. And he's like, you have two choices. He's like, you can be a man or you can be a wuss. He's like, you can be a wuss. Go cry in the corner. Say, well, was me. Blame everybody else for yourself. He's like, most people will do that. Be pessimistic. Go cry in the corner. He's like, if you want to do that, that's fine. He's like, or you can be a man and look yourself in the mirror and say, I got myself here. Like, and it's on me to make the choices, make the sacrifices, do whatever it takes to get myself out. And I felt empowered as much as I didn't want to hear that. I felt empowered for the first time in a long time, or maybe even in the, for the first time in my life, because I had this person, like I said, who had no skin in the game. He wasn't a member of my family. He wasn't a close friend. He wasn't like a probation officer or whatever, like telling me the truth like that. And I just, I had gotten all, all the drugs out of my system at this point, And I was starting to think more logically. And I was like, okay, like I thought I knew how to figure life out up until this point, And here I am addicted to drugs. I was selling drugs. I'm in jail for a felony. I've had 20 jobs. I've damaged so many relationships. I go on and on with this, like this rap sheet of all the bad things that I had mm-hmm. done in my life because of my behaviors and choices. And so shortly after that, I decided to, to give exercise a try. And I remember to get down. I remember getting down to do a push up. Could barely do a push up. Could barely do one for my knees. And with his encouragement, training me in there every single day during my ninety day sentence, I was able to do a set of ten push ups and run a mile. And the mile was a big thing too because I could barely walk up and down the steps when I first got in there because of my health situation and also because I was smoking like a pack, a pack and a half of cigarettes every single day. So my lungs were just completely destroyed. And I felt for the first time in my life that I was really honestly for myself ready to change and transform because I, now I had this new level of self-confidence I didn't have. I was talking to myself in a different way. We worked on like the way I talked to myself. We worked on like how to, how to walk, like how to have your shoulders back, chest up, like be proud of who you are. I started to develop self-discipline. I started to get, be able to get comfortable being uncomfortable. I started to actually like follow through with the things that I knew I should have been doing all along. Like that's how I think, true self-confidence, true self-worth, true self-esteem comes from is from just doing the things you know you should be doing on a, on a regular basis. Like I knew I should have been making different choices. I knew I should have been taking care of my body, but I just didn't do it. But I think mm-hmm. what happens is that we think so far out. Like I was always thinking about, I need to lose 50 pounds, but it wasn't like, I just need to lose a pound. I need to lose two pounds. Or I see my friends doing 50 push-ups. I'm like, how am I ever going to do 50 push-ups when I can't do one instead of focusing on that one push-up? And that's where that mindset started to shift for me was when I was in jail and I was like, wow, like here I am barely able to do a push-up because I was so out of shape. And when I left, I, I looked at my cellmate and I just said, how can I ever repay you? And he just said, pay it forward and don't mess up. And he gave me a workout plan that I still have framed in my place. So I never forget where I came from mm-hmm. and, and got out, lost a bunch of weight. And then 
got to a place fitness wise where I wanted to help other people use fitness to change their lives. And that's when I became a trainer and by the grace of God, built a pretty successful personal training business and and found this new high, I think, of wanting to help others and, and, and pass the torch of the lessons that my cellmate had told me on the power of fitness and how that can be a catalyst for change to helping so many other people do the same. And and time flew by and I didn't mess up as far as the orders the judge gave me. And in, uh, in, in January of 2014, I went back, um, to court for modification of my sentence and went before the judge and he granted me my second chance. He took the felony conviction off my record and I never realized how much one's, life can change from being somebody who was kind of shackled as a felon to now being a more free man. And that inspired me to, to write my first book called from felony to fitness to free to inspire people to make the most of their second chance turn negative, turn a negative into a positive and focus on how far they've come and not how far they have to go. And since then I've just been on an absolute tear to share my story and to help other people to know that, you know, it's okay if you make mistakes, it's okay that, if you made choices in your past that aren't aligned with where you want to go, but what counts is like what you do after that, like your past can either drain you or it can invigorate you, right? Your mistakes can either bring you down the rest of your life or it can fuel you to be a better version of yourself. And that's ultimately what has been my message, you know, over the last, you know, seven years or so, or eight years since I've been sharing my story, I've written a couple other books along the way. And been on some some amazing podcasts to share my story and different media outlets and and this is all what's really inspired my podcast just to bring it all full full circle which is the adversity advantage like i finally was able Mm -hmm. to use adversity to my advantage when i was in jail and it changed my life completely i love that today's episode is brought to you by teen counseling Therapy, one of my favorite things in the world, what literally changed my life, and teen counseling is a great way to dip your toe in the water for therapy without having to deal with the anxiety of meeting with a therapist in person, because that can just be a lot if you're first starting. So, teen counseling is an online therapy program with over 14,000 licensed therapists in their network. They offer support on things like depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, and more. They offer text, talk, and video counseling all from your home. So what you're going to do is you're going to head to teencounseling.com slash she persisted. You're going to fill out a quick survey about what you're hoping to work on. Again, things like depression, anxiety, schoolwork, stress, whatever it is. And then they send an email to your parents that says Sadie or whatever your name is, is hoping to work with a licensed counselor from teen counseling. Please give consent for treatment. None of your information that you shared in the survey of what you're hoping to work on or what you're struggling with is shared with your parents. Your privacy is protected. And from there, after they approve treatment, you are matched with a therapist that fits your needs. So what you can do is head to teencounseling.com slash she persisted. Again, that's teencounseling.com slash she persisted to get started today. If you had to boil down that shift of using adversity to disadvantage you to then advantage you, what would like the top three shifts, habits, mindset, behavior things, what would those be? I know it's a huge question, but. I think the biggest thing for me was personal accountability and responsibility mm-hmm. because I would focus and so many people focus so much on the situation in itself and they have this, oh, why is this happening to me or why that's, why they say that to me or why they do this? And then, and then you end up becoming like addicted to that cycle. And then you end Mm -hmm. up justifying your behaviors on the back end because of that situation instead of looking at it and saying, like, I can't change the past. I can't change the situation, but I can change how I respond to it. And Mm -hmm. and that's as I look at it now, 
like the adversity isn't what broke me, right? That my parents getting divorced or even getting bullied or um, bad luck with girls, like that didn't break me. It was how I responded to it. Like it wasn't like a girl rejected me and I was like, oh, I'm going to jail. It was like, no, yeah. a girl re would reject me. I would go get high or sell drugs or whatever. And those behaviors is what led me to go into jail. So I think, you know, having that shift of taking full ownership. And I know sometimes that's hard because life's hard. Life's challenging. Life sucks sometimes. It really does. It does. But the only way to get out of that is to take responsibility for how you respond moving forward. Right? Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of there's a lot of things in life you can't control, but what you can control is how you choose to act and respond during that situation. And then also along those same lines is, is no one's coming to save you. Like, I think we're all, when we're in these hard moments or we're struggling, we're all looking for someone to come save us and rescue us. And the fact of the matter is like, no one's coming. And yeah. I think once you relinquish, relinquish control or their power away from yourself and give it to somebody else and wait for someone else to fix you, like you lose. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's a big one. That's that, that's that's kind of all goes into number one. I'd say number two, like own your choices. Like your choices can either make or break you. Like my choices back then were blame other people for my problems, not manage my emotions in a healthy way, do drugs, sell drugs, eat fast food, not move my body, hang around crappy people. I was lazy. I was. I mean, I could go on and on with the bad things that I did. I mean, I was a I was a good kid, but because of my bad habits it made my life worse. Right. Mm -hmm. And so now like I still go through hard times and that's the thing that people don't understand. Or maybe sometimes people get twisted as they're like, Oh, like you just don't get it. Like, you know, your life must be so good now. It's not much. I mean, it's much better because I've made different choices, but I still find myself in challenging times. Like we all still experience heartbreak or anxiety or depression or stress or times where I'm not sleeping or times where, where things are really uncertain. Like look what's happened in the past couple of years, like the amount of uncertainty in so many people's lives that but what's changed is how I respond. It's not me looking for a drug to numb pain. It's like, how can I go now find some space to go, go for a run or maybe it's a walk for some people to gather my thoughts, like kind of like, help mitigate that those painful emotions and and and, and change your state of mind and kind of re like reduce the half-life of the adversity right because once you I, I find that once i'm when i'm going through something really hard and, I, and even like sometimes you'll want to like respond to a text right away or you want to respond to an email or do something i find that once i go for a run and i come back i'm like eh, it's not that big of a deal i'll respond later right everybody mm -hmm. i'm sure can relate to that so own your choices. Like your choices can either make or break you. And I would say the other thing that was pivotal, I mean, there's so many I could go on and on because I love talking about this. Just never stop investing in yourself. Yeah. Like learning, like wanting to heal, like and, and like being excited about getting better. Because I think there's this narrative. There was a narrative for a long time that if you admitted you were working on yourself or you had mental health issues, that that was like, there was something wrong with you, right? But- like I always, what really helped me was if I broke my leg, I'd go see a specialist to fix my leg. I wouldn't just not fix my leg, right? Mm -hmm. I would be like, oh, I got this. I'll yeah. figure it out. Tough through it. Yeah. But when it comes to mental health for some reason or just different personal things we're going through where you're forced to open up and be vulnerable about like something really personal and emotional, it, it becomes a different thing. And when I say investing in yourself, it could be a, a variety of things like 
listening to podcasts. It could be reading books. It could be listening to audiobooks. It could be just going to conferences and networking and meeting different people. It could be going to therapy if you need it. And and I think people need to be careful too that that healing. Some people become like super obsessed with like healing, where their whole mm-hmm. life revolves around it. And while I think it's important to work on yourself, and this is why I want to say it, I also think there's a point where you need to just live a little and use a lot of the lessons that you've learned, these these practices that you've either developed or read about or learned about and just seeing like what works. Otherwise it just becomes this constant cycle where you don't move forward. Cause you're like, I'm healing, I'm healing, I'm healing. But maybe part of the healing, part of that next step for you is taking the knowledge, taking the wisdom that you've learned and applying it and then choosing how you respond to whatever that, that next situation is in a, in a different way that supports reflects some of the stuff that you've learned. And then I would say the, I'm going to give a bonus one here because this is just coming to me and I think it's just so mm-hmm. freaking important when it comes to getting yourself out of a hard situation. And it's my favorite quote for for many reasons, but it's remember how far you've come and then how far you have to go. Yeah. Because it's easy to look at what you don't have in your life. It's easy to look at like the weight you haven't lost. It's easy to look at the relationship you don't have. It's easy to just, you know, future trip. Like because so many people will do that because we're so caught up in comparison we're so caught up in getting like a five-year result tomorrow that it's all we focus on is the future and all we don't have and it honestly can be very intimidating and overwhelming for people especially when they're coming out of something like addiction especially when they're coming out of a depression or whatever because like think about it like when someone how intimidating is it that you're somebody who's used and abused drugs for the past 15 years and then you all of a sudden stop and you're like, oh, like, like, how am I going to make it 10 years if, I, if my track record proves otherwise? But if you do what I did and I just took it day by day. And mm-hmm. to be honest, like the odds were very stacked against me between the amount of people that relapse after drug use or the people that go back to prison or whatever. Just And based on like my previous track record of how I behaved in the past like like things were against me for a while but i knew i had to lean into that 10 percent and have blind faith in that and go all in and be relentless every single day like whatever it takes like literally to do whatever it takes to become a better version of myself that day to whatever it takes to do the things that i knew would give me a chance a chance to make it to that next day and and continue to improve as a person so that's where that mindset that focusing on how far you've you've come and not how far you have to go is is pivotal because now mm-hmm. you can look at some positives in your life. You can look at what you ca- you have achieved instead of what you, you haven't achieved because when you're in that state of mind and you're already like bad off, if you're looking at everything else as negative, whether it's things you haven't gotten in your life, remember maybe it's like a you know a fitness goal you haven't reached, or I can make up go on and on with examples. Mm-hmm. Like your life will get darker and darker. So hopefully that helps. Yeah, no, I think that's so universal to whatever people are going through. And I think it'll be really helpful to make those mindset shifts for sure. I want to talk about the connection between fitness and mental health. We talked broad strokes about how that impacted you. And I think most people know like it increases your endorphins, like it's good to get outside and get that vitamin D. But obviously you have so much experience, not only with yourself, but training other people and seeing that shift. So big picture, what are the impacts of getting active, working on your fitness goals, and your mental health? 
Well, I think there's a lot to be said with with fitness because when you move your body and you get your, you get your, you get outside of yourself. Yeah. And it's just like one thing that you're doing to keep a commitment that you're making to yourself. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're, you're doing something to better yourself. Like at the end of the day, like I think the, the way for us to feel better as human beings is to con- continually strive to become better. And I think when you do work out, you feel better because you're like, you're, it's just a natural biological chemical reaction in your body that the endorphins are going and you're moving towards a goal and you're showing yourself some self-love. And I think that's the easiest way to show yourself that you care about yourself is to like, like take care of your body and achieve a goal. Mm-hmm. Right. And I 100%. think, yeah. And I, and I also believe that you end up feeling better after doing something like that, that challenges you because you, if, especially if you're somebody who's used to numbing yourself with like other substances or things or not doing it, like afterwards you're like, you get that natural endorphin rush and you're like, I'm so proud of myself that I actually did the thing. Like I actually yeah. went and worked out or I actually didn't spend time on social media or, you know, going and eating a pizza to deal with my feelings. And instead I went and went for a walk or whatever. And then I think on top of all that is you work these non-physical muscles while you are doing fitness too. You work the discipline muscle, you work the perseverance muscle, you work the adversity muscle where now you're teaching yourself that when you're going through a hard time, like these are some tools you can use to help get out of it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's, there's so many different benefits to exercise that mm-hmm. I think it's pivotal to do it because it's going to improve your energy levels. It's going to improve the way you sleep. It's going to improve the way you feel about yourself. I mean, you're going to, it's going to improve the way you look, you know, not just like from a weight perspective, but you're going to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and just like, be like, wow, I'm proud of myself for taking care of myself today. Yeah. A hundred percent for listeners who want to invest in their physical health, invest in their fitness, but are really getting caught up in that one month, one year, five year mindset. What are your tips that they can implement today, tomorrow, the day after? I I think what I was going to say before too, is that is to start small. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I think there's a lot of people that come to me who haven't worked out in you know in a while whether that's weeks months years and they try to go back to the person they were like 10 years ago maybe Mm -hmm. or they try to go to what the person on social media is doing and and i often will say just just start with like a five minute walk start with a 10 minute walk and then build off of that Mm -hmm. because what tends to happen is we'll see people will see this like 90 day transformation program and they'll see this cleanse or something that's that's that's, it can be pretty intimidating and they'll try and do that, but they don't realize that they haven't built the foundational habits before to help them to help them get to that point in a way that's consistent and it's meaningful. And so somebody who's like f- future tripping about like worrying about what's going to happen in the future, I just say, okay, like commit to whatever works for you with where you're at right now. So that could be going on a 10 minute walk twice a week. And then what's going to happen when you go on that walk? You're going to feel better. And you're like, oh, like I want to do more of this. So maybe the next week, it's a 12 minute walk. 
And then the next week, it's a 15 minute walk. And then sure enough, like a month or two later, you're now running like two miles. But where did that start? It started from those simple steps, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of going backwards where you're like, oh, I'm just going to run a 5K like this week. You know, I'm going to try and get Mm -hmm. in shape. So I'm going to run a few miles. And then what happens if you haven't run in 15 years? It's a terrible experience. You're like, nope, never again. You're never going (laughs) to want to do it again. And, Mm -hmm. And so it's such a touchy subject too, because everybody's built different. But I always tell people, like the best fitness program you can do is the one that you're going to stick to. Mm-hmm. That's huge. You know? Yeah, 100%. Are you more subscribed to the philosophy of doing something every day fitness-wise or are you like, let's aim for like three workouts a week? Like kind of what's your thoughts there? I guess depends on the person. Like mm-hmm. I, I use the, the, the walking twice a week because I'm looking at it from a perspective of maybe somebody who – hasn't been able to get into any sort of fitness routine. And, mm-hmm. and I think one of the, the biggest mistakes I see people make is that they try to go from zero to a hundred. So they'll, they'll say, Oh, I'm going to go to the gym five days a week when they haven't been going to the gym once a week for like 10 years. So that's mm-hmm. why I always like to use that example of twice a week. I mean, listen, if you're a seasoned gym goer and you can handle going five days a week consistently, then I'm not going to stop you from exercising five days a yeah, week yeah. because I do believe that there's a lot of benefit to moving your body every single day. But, you know, I think for the average person, I think if you get in three solid workouts a week, I think you're going to be a lot better off than most people. And I think there's, mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of room there for you to progr- for you to progress and become somebody who's pretty fit. Absolutely. Um, me personally now, I mean, I'm somebody that, that health is medicine to me and not that in a, in an addictive way, but if I'm like trying to process something I'm going through, or I'm trying to prepare for an interview, or I'm just trying to just take a break from life, get going for a run, going to the gym is, a, is an easy way for me to, to channel that pain into something mm-hmm. positive, right? And I think there's a lot of parallels with fitness and, and like real life when it comes to how you manage pain. Because mm-hmm. in life, like, we, when, we, when we go through, we have to go through painful moments and push ourselves to the limit sometimes. And, mm-hmm. and maybe maybe it's different risk in a relationship or it's taking a chance on a job or it's having a hard conversation. Like we have to push ourselves to become that, to get to that next le- level of ourselves, right? To get to that next version mm-hmm. of ourselves. And if you don't do that, you'll just stay the same forever. So, and, and with physical fitness, this is an easy example. Like in order to, for me to build a bigger bicep, I have to train my my biceps till failure. I literally have to tear down the muscles and then they mm-hmm. recover and they get bigger. Or if somebody wants to run faster, you literally have to run until you can't run anymore and you collapse maybe. So that you then you recover, then you try again and you run you try to hit that same time. So that's just it's that's life, right? Yeah. And 100%. And when it comes to mental health and, and fitness like you just you have to do things on a daily basis that challenge you mentally physically Mm -hmm. emotionally and i think you develop this sense of this unperceived sense of self-confidence and self-esteem after you do these things because a lot of these things that work aren't convenient they're not easy and they can be challenging like I'm an anxious person. I have ADD. I have like a squirrel brain sometimes and I can't sit still. So for me to meditate for 10 minutes is freaking hard, really hard. Mm-hmm. But when I'm done, I feel like a million dollars, right? Mm-hmm. 
you know, there's some, there's certain days where I'm just completely, you know, dead as far as my energy levels. And I don't feel like exercising, but when I go for like a light run and I just give it my best for that day, I feel like a million dollars and I'm done. Mm-hmm. Or I don't like having sometimes hard conversations with people because it can be hard. I'm like, I'm a people pleaser at heart sometimes where I don't want to hurt someone's feelings. But when I yeah. stand up for who I am and what I want to do and there's peace in that. So it's hard. It's funny because I, when I talk about fitness and mental health, sure, there's plenty of benefits as far as the dopamine and the endorphins and, you know, keeping the, the commitments you make to yourself and how you feel afterwards and all this stuff that from a neurological perspective, I might not be the best at explaining, but we all know that it works, right? Yeah. Where, yeah. Where, but where I know it really helps me is that I just feel better after I do it because I know that I'm not cheating myself out of something that I know I should be doing to better myself. And I'm staying consistent. I love that. That's huge. For listeners who want to continue to consume your content, follow along, where can they find you? So I think the best place to connect with me, honestly, is on my podcast, The Adversity Advantage, where I interview people from all walks of life and have really cool conversations on different topics of adversity, bring on subject matter experts as well on mental health. And then that's, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, we're on YouTube. And then I'm most active on Instagram at Doug Bobst or my website's got some stuff on it too. It's DougBobst.com. And and thank you. Mm-hmm. And hopefully people get a lot out of this episode. No, they will. Uh, and I'll pass along any feedback and, and individuals that it helped. And, I, and I'm certain that people will be inspired and motivated to implement these small daily shifts. In case you skipped to the end, Doug and I dove into his personal story. We talked about what it was like to hit rock bottom, what steps he took to turn his life around, the mentors involved in his journey, what he's doing now with the podcast and as a fitness coach, steps that you can take to implement fitness practices in your life to improve your mental health, and so much more. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, make sure that you share it with a friend or family member who you think it would resonate with. Tag me on social media if you're listening at She Persisted Podcast. I'll make sure to give you a little repost and a shout out. And yeah, I hope you loved it and I'll see you next Monday.